My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. And welcome. Yeah. This day, Dave, it's all about you. And me. I'm Sean McGarvey, and I am a dad. Thank you. My wife had a little something to do with that, too. Um, So she and I have been married 20 years and have four kids. Matthew is going to be 18 next month. Mike is 16. Megan, coming up on 14. What? No, I'm going through this. We've got another one. You get so many, and it's like, ah, you know. By the time you get to the third child, there are pictures of the first two. And then historically, if our house burned to the ground, they would never know that like three or more existed. You know? No, we have plenty of pictures. Uh, And there she is now, live before you, Megan. Coming up on 14 there. And Remy is five. So this fall, we're going to have one in college and one in kindergarten. So for this, Father, thank you very much. Pray for us now is what you need to do. And this Father's Day in particular, I'm looking forward to a good meal and a nap. So several years ago, Jim Fleming asked me if he could talk with me for a few minutes, and he told me that when he started teaching this class, he was doing roughly 92.4% of the lessons. And in subsequent years, he had gotten that number down to an estimated 79.3%, with others in the class teaching and guest speakers in the neighborhood of 20.7% of the teaching. And then he started pulling out bar graphs and box plots and Venn diagrams. And I said, Jim, where are we going with all this math? So he was kind enough to put down a slide rule and pushed aside his abacus. And he asked me if I would be willing to teach. And so for the past five years and today on Father's Day, here I am. Also this morning, my mom is here. She's coming back from coffee right there. Joanne McGarvey, ladies and gentlemen. So this material is going to need to come out. Let's see here. Yeah, probably that one too. Ooh, and that one. Okay, all right. All right, there's probably still enough here to, te- to, to get us to 9.45, so that'll still be good. But before we get to that lesson, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, you are the ultimate loving Father. Your wisdom is far above and beyond us, and your mercies are new every day. Please, Lord, be with us in this time. Guide the words of my mouth, and may your spirit open our hearts to receive what you would have for us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So two years ago, two weeks ago, two years ago, good gracious, two weeks ago, I can't even read my own typing, uh, my family and some of our friends went camping at Stone Mountain, and to borrow terminology from Pastor Brian Smith, parts of it were simply glorious. Now, for everyone in the room, uh, if you've been camping in the last five years, raise your hand, keep them up, five years camping, okay, 
All right, keep them up, keep them up. Where did you sleep at night? In a bed. In a bed. Okay, so was this was an RV? It was in a camper. It was in a camper, so your hand can go down. All right. And where were you sleeping at night? A hammock. A hammock. Between two trees. Okay, your hand can stay up. Now, where did you sleep at night? A tent. A tent. All right, your hand can stay up. And we actually, we have to put ours down. <laughs> and you, Tim? Slept in a tent. Slept in a tent. Air mattress that deflated. <laughs> I woke up with my feet way up in the air. And I was like, deflated, you get to keep your hand up. All right, good. All right, and Brian? In a tent on a cot in a sleeping bag? Oh, I'll still give it to you. Oh. All right. Still in. That's good. So all the other ones, now you can put your hands down. All the other ones that didn't have your hands up, what is the deal? Just don't like camping? Yes. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Five years wilderness sobriety. I mean, what is it? You know, okay, not a big fan. Why not? <laughs> I can't follow that. I can't follow this, but I'll tell you, this may, be a, this may offend some people, but probably not a whole lot now that I'm seeing it. Uh, this being Sunday school, I believe we should be about the business of educating. And so I'm here to educate you that if you do not sleep in a tent, you are not camping. You ever heard of the term glamping? Combination of glamour and camping. Actually, at Stone Mountain, we stayed in a safari tent. And when I looked up glamping, safari tent is under glamping. Plus, we were close to the, we, uh, yeah, it didn't feel like it, did it? Um, we were close to the bathhouse, there's running water, there's electricity and stuff like that. It still doesn't shoot my argument in the foot here, so we're going to get to that. Um, you know, glamping is kind of like one of those things, if you were to, let's say you come out of your house, you grab a lawn chair, and you sit down for 30 minutes next to a charcoal grill, right? Just out there enjoying the sun, maybe go for a bike ride, a little swim. Come back in, take a shower and eat. That's glamping right there. That's, you know, you're not camping, my friend. Um, well, once again, I'm Sean McGarvey, and I hate camping. I do. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I was raised on the farm. I played soccer. Outdoorsy guy. What's the deal? And traditionally, my first argument against camping has been similar to that of people who have never skydived or skydove or skydiving. Skydived? Okay. Never skydived. And so the argument goes a little something like this. Why would you jump out of it? Say it with me now. Perfectly good airplane. Exactly, right? Makes sense. If you're sitting in air conditioning and birds and bugs are not pelting you in the face, right? You might have a window, a beverage, you're semi-comfortable, maybe. Uh, and by the way, when I've flown, um, I always get a kick out of the announcement that comes on when you're approaching for landing. The pilot comes on and says, attention, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be out on the ground soon. And I'm like, take your time. We don't have to get to the ground soon. Take your time. <laughs> get there safely. That's what it's all about. So if you're not already getting to the ground too fast, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? So when my wife starts talking about going camping, I'm like, you know, we're paying on the mortgage on a perfectly good house with air conditioning. It's got four bathrooms. There's running water. There's electricity. There's a refrigerator. You don't have to keep going out and buying ice. 
Why would I want to leave that perfectly good house and go sleep on the ground with my head in the dirt and sweat in a tent? As many of you I see are in community with me on that. To which C says, oh, come on, it's an adventure. Yeah, well, that leads us to argument number two. Try packing for that little adventure. We, we will get to that. We will specifically get to that. Yeah. I believe it's Paul that says that the ladies of the church should be quiet. I'm seeing somewhere in here. Now you're camping for that. Who puts it in the van, though? Here's the deal, right? You're cramming it in the van. That's on me. It all goes in the garage. It's on, it goes in the garage. So I'm putting it in there. It looks like camping gear Tetris, right? Cramming it. You're like, this one will fit. Okay, we got to take that one out. We'll put this in here. And you're leaving a void, right? The shape of each child. You're like, I think they'll fit in there. Does Megan really need two shoes? And you're stepping back and you're looking at the whole thing. And I'm like, we're not going camping. It looks like we're moving. I mean, it's like, it's like everything's in there. Wouldn't it be easier to just, and say it with me now, put a trailer hitch on the house and bring it with us? True story, uh, when my sister and I were kids, we lived in a trailer park. So our house actually had a wheel, you know, trailer hitch and wheels. And turns out we were glamping. We just didn't know it. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a couple trailer parks and several rental properties. So yeah, when I was a kid, my parents moved a lot. I always found them. But they moved a lot. Now, traditionally for me, there's a third argument against camping, and that is it's just so much work. And I was sharing that with my wife this year in a calm and non-threatening way. And she was like, what? Yeah, I do all the work. I do the packing. I do the shopping. I do the meal prep. I do the cooking, the dishes. And I'm like, you know what? Hey, I put up the big awning right over the campsite, 20 feet in the air, put up the tent. Right? I load the vans, I put on the bikes, I build the fires. I'm a man, I do man things. <laughs> and then, so I really wanted to dismiss her right out of hand, and I was like, no, to be honest, she really does do the bulk of the work. So, mad props to you, babe. But then that got me thinking, what if she's getting tired of this whole thing too? Might we never have to camp again? Or have I just gotten lazy? And why is it that we're still not unpacked from two weeks ago? <sighs> so the three arguments that I've presented here, the waste of perfectly good resources, the burden of baggage, and the mountain of work it takes to relax, they all have elements of truth and merit, but none of them, individually or combined, could quite fully explain that lingering distaste in my soul. For what I saw, is such a cruel and baleful activity as camping. So seemingly benign on the surface, and yet somehow so odious and contemptible to my innermost being. It's like an unfinished puzzle. There was still a piece missing. 
until this year, two weeks ago. There I was at Stone Mountain on the campsite alone. That was one of the glorious parts of it. It was really good. Uh, and I asked God from that campsite, why do you have me here? And why do I hate it so much? And how can we parlay this experience into a Sunday school lesson? <laughs> and God said to my soul, and I will paraphrase for effect, do you not know, my son, and have you not heard that sometimes when I need to punish and discipline wicked and rebellious children, I take them camping. <laughs> <laughs> ringing true to you right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, all right, we're getting good up in here. All right. It all started in the land of Goshen, Egypt. This, you may recall, was the land that Joseph had recommended to the Pharaoh that the families of his father and brothers be allowed to live in at the time of the famine. Joseph, speaking to his brothers in Genesis 46, 33 through 34, says, So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation that you shall say? Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the, the, in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And then in 47.5, Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. And you know the story. In an abbreviated form, they lived there in relative comfort and prospered and multiplied until they were seen by a later pharaoh as a threat to Egypt. And he made conditions harsh on them and became slaves to the Egyptians for roughly 120 years. And God sent a reluctant Moses to lead them out. Now I've got a connection here. I was born in Goshen, Indiana, where my parents settled after going to college, leaving their distant lands in Pennsylvania. We had lots of farming and livestock in Goshen, some sheep, mostly cows, some pigs, that would have been different from the Hebrews. Uh, a lot of livestock though, good times, and like the Israelites, there came a time to leave, and any similarity ends there. Trish and I went to Boston and then here in Chattanooga, and the Israelites went to the wilderness of Sin and Kadesh Barnea, and there they spent 40 years camping. But this was no, by no means a vacation. As we read in Numbers 14, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints with the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and, jo and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, 
Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you have spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And so there it is, the last piece of the puzzle. Camping equals death. Thank you, Chattanooga. No. <laughs> There's more to that story. This was a rebellious and evil people who had already tested the Lord ten distinctly different times. And they despised God's promises and rejected Him. When I started working on this lesson, I turned to resources from two of my favorite pastors. This is the book Church Elders by Pastor Jeremy Rennie, our senior pastor at South Shore Baptist Church in Hingham, Massachusetts, who is now by faith living and serving in Abu Dhabi. And this is the Bible of my father, David McGarvey, who's been a pastor since I was a kid and all the way up to his death five years ago. And now he lives in faith in the presence of Jesus. So mom gave dad this Bible on December 25th, 1977, and he used it. And there are underlines and highlights and notes in the margins and notes in everywhere in this. And that has been a great experience for me to see some of the things that he had on his mind. I mean, seriously, we'll probably be in Timothy this time next year. Look at all that. He used it. So at the end of Exodus 14, he's got a note that says, Israel needs a sign. Belief is not equal to, he puts the symbol in here, Jim. My dad was into math, just in case you're wondering. Belief is not equal to faith. He's a bit of a pastor thug. You know, math, life, what, what? Okay. But belief does not equal faith. We've seen this before. In James 2.19, it says, You believe there is one God, you do well. Or in some translations, good for you. The demons also believe and tremble. So believing is not enough. The children of Israel kept needing a sign. And they got the sign and they believed. They didn't have faith. They're living in the old covenant types and shadows that pointed to the new covenant in which we live today. They were freshly out of slavery and had little, no, little to no experience living in freedom, sure, but the true and deeper problem was that they lacked faith in God. They believed in him, but they did not obey him in faith. And for them to enter the promised land, disobedience and rebellion from lack of faith was not going to cut it. In fact, the disobedience and rebellion had to be cut out. And this is Jim squirming his seat, waiting for Sean to give one of his surgery references. And I'll spare you that, Jim. But suffice it to say, God takes a surgical approach to dealing with Israel here. Forty years in the wilderness camping until an entire generation was dead, but sparing and growing and maturing the next generation of Israel. David Gruzik writes in his commentary on Numbers, God has one prescription for the old man and the flesh to kill it. 
Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Brian's been preaching a sermon series with references in 1 Corinthians 12 and 2 Corinthians 5. So there went my material. Um, <laughs> he's talking about the old dying and the new coming. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we read that, For we know that our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. People, in this world we are camping and groaning in our tents. But one day, by faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, we're going to the promised land in our new body. And the Holy Spirit in our lives is our guarantee. And while we're here in this earthly tent, just as with Israel, God does not send us out camping on our own. No, God takes us camping. He goes with us. Look at how he went with Israel. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.4 and 29.5 and Nehemiah 9.21 talk about garments that did not wear out. Forty years of your garments not wearing out? I'm three years in a pair of jeans and they got to go. Forty years in a pair of garments and even their sandals and their feet didn't swell. Right? Feet, footwear. Dad would wear wingtip shoes. Dress shoes, wingtip shoes, right? Because they wear like iron, he told me. Now, the problem that I had is he would wear these wingtip shoes with shorts and tube socks. <laughs> so dad was not a perfect man. There was still sin. <laughs> the Bible says... He who began this work in you will continue it till the day of Jesus Christ. So that work continued. It never quite totally got there, but it got better. Um, wingtip shoes, yeah, with shorts. And so my sister one year sent me a birthday card that said, one year older, one year closer to dressing like dad. <laughs> it's like, good one. Well, think about two. God went with them 40 years of manna every day, except... Sundays, right? 40 years of manna with a side of quail once. Uh, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He was with them ever present in their camp. He provided water at Mara and again out of the rock. And he provided protection and provision from the wilderness life. Which was an inter... We'll get to that verse, but you know, with us today... Camping or glamping, we might have to deal with raccoons or skunks or squirrels and maybe snakes. When I was a kid, we'd go camping in parks in northern Indiana and Michigan that seemed to have an annual turf war between the raccoons and the skunks. And you always hoped the raccoons would win. Because if you came across a skunk, your trip was over. The raccoons and squirrels and stuff, you can lock your food in the car. Because let's face it, if you leave food out while you're camping, all kinds of wildlife will come along and eat it. Squirrels, raccoons, skunks, teenagers. 
And it was around the age when I was learning to drive that I was educated on the dangers of alligators. Let's see if we can get this. You'll be, I think, you, I don't know if you want to move your chair or not. Let's take a look. So dad drove a truck for the Evangel Press and a cabinet company. And truckers would call these <laughs> alligators. Right? Alligators. They're all over the highway. If you're going camping and you hit one of these with your fully loaded camping gear Tetris car, yeah, it might slap your car silly and end your trip. But there she is. This one looks to be an adult female. Oi! Ain't she a beauty? <laughs> Is she Lamine's business? If she gets too close, she'll boy you. So I know, okay, it's an alligator, not a crocodile. I know, that's a crocodile hunter. Okay? But stay with me here. Uh, because while we have alligators in the promised land, they had crocodiles. Actual crocodiles. And other things, lions, hippopotamuses, hippopotami, snakes, uh, crocodiles. So much so that we read in Exodus 23:29 regarding the Canaanites and the people who were going to be removed from the land that God says, I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. So I'd never thought about this before, but God provided caretakers for the land so that when Israel finally got there, it was in move-in condition. And what's the promise for us today? Jesus says in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But in the meantime, this body of ours groaning in a tent is not alone. 1 Corinthians 12. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. That's our body. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So we're the body of Christ, and then he leads into 1 Corinthians 13, the better way, which is love. So the gist here that we are bodies of believers who care for each other. And in an affront to my displeasure with camping, David Guzik's commentary in Corinthians says, Jesus approved the essential goodness of the body, the tent, by becoming a man. And there's good things that happen while camping. 
there was an opportunity for us for uh, some great exercise. I went up and down the mountain every day. And on the last day, I made it up in 23 minutes and down in 13, which hurt. There was a guy in front of me. I left the parking lot, and he's like 15 feet in front of me. And we're going, he's, you know, maybe a little bit taller, about the same girth kind of thing. He's taking off going on this trail at a good clip, right? And I'm behind him 15 feet. There's a railroad that goes around the base of Stone Mountain. We got to those tracks. This dude takes off running. And I'm like, you do you. <laughs> Just not going to work for me. But a really cool moment and different moments among uh, some really glorious and cool moments of camping is that uh, Megan uh, actually spent one of those mornings and went up the trail with me. And uh, we celebrated that by getting a certificate in honor of the occasion so that now Megan and I have a lifetime membership in the Stone Mountain Climbers Club. And we're very proud of that. <laughs> Good time together. So, look, I'm probably hacking this thing to pieces, and I know I'm leaving a lot unsaid. The Bible takes months and months to read, and it's not going to fit all in one 35-minute lesson. So it's best if we're in it every day and reading those words of how God loves us and how he's preparing a place for us and how he gives us each other to care for one another and honor him. So if you learn anything in this lesson today or are encouraged in anything, let, let this be the takeaway. The redemptive story of the Bible, the gospel, the good news, the greatest news and the answer for the hope that lies within us is that with God, death is the beginning of life. Jesus Christ died on the cross once for all mankind and through faith in him, we have everlasting life. He wants his glory and his story to be spread throughout the world and he will accomplish his plans using any and all means necessary, including taking his children camping. Amen. So that's the end of what I got. Check out the weekly update at your table, review and update your prior requests, write down new ones, and lean in, engage, pray at the table. And then get yourselves all cleaned up and move to the auditorium. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.